Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Robin. And I'm John. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human. We have blind spots and biases and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way people have hard conversations, and we think we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. Since you're here, we hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. from the headlines episode. This week we are talking about the app that everyone loves to hate, Facebook. 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 Friend face. If, if you're you... an IT crowd fan. <laughs> There's been, uh, God, just a whole firestorm of stuff around Facebook. Not just recently either. Like if you've been alive for the past, <laughs> well, five years, but especially yeah. 2020 to 2021, um, during the campaign, you may remember that the the U.S. presidential campaign for twenty for the twenty twenty right. election. Uh, you might remember that um, there was a lot of uh, controversy from right leaning individuals who thought that Facebook was unfairly targeting their rhetoric and oh, yeah. uh, causing them to, you know, not be able to communicate. We've <laughs> And then force them to move to a different social media platform called, well, you know what? I don't even, gonna, I'm not, I'm gonna, not going to name them because I think they're actually more of a threat to this country than just about anything else. Um, so, yeah, I said it. Um, so, yeah, we thought it would be a good, good chance to talk about some of the stuff that's going on because, well... Facebook's in it right now. Yeah. I mean, and they're no strangers to congressional testimony, right? Uh, the whole thing that kicked off this idea for this week is that there was a, a former Facebook employee who was serving in a whistleblower capacity. And and this is not the first time that this has happened. And this is not the first time that Facebook has found itself in front of a congressional committee um, right in the thick of the election cycle in 2020. <laughs> they sat down for days Uh Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, um, and other representatives from Twitter, Facebook, and Google all had to basically account for their activities existence. and existence and uh, do their best to convince people on both sides, actually, in Congress for different reasons that they should maintain their status as a, what is it, a publisher? Shoot. No, as a platform. As a platform, not a publisher. Not a publisher. That's right. Yeah. Who can forget such perennial classics as, if Facebook is a free service, how do you make your money? 
<laughs> Which actually Bad. is that's a thousand percent the best segue into this conversation ever. Mm. So, yeah, almost two weeks ago now, former Facebook product manager for civic misinformation, Francis, was it Haugen? Haugen. Yep. Released documents that she believes prove that the company moved forward with development of programs it knew to be uh, detrimental to users' mental health, especially teenagers, um, and to healthy discourse in general. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, She told lawmakers that Facebook consistently puts its own profits over users' health and safety. Right. She shared some concerning statistics that highlight the impact of Instagram, especially on teenagers, which Instagram, if you did not know, is owned by Facebook. Um, Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, and a few other uh, subtler properties are owned by the same company. Um, And so those statistics... 13.5% of UK teen girls in one survey said their suicidal thoughts became more frequent after starting on Instagram. Uh, Another study found that 17% of teen girls said that their eating disorders got worse after using Instagram. And then in another study, 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Again, just a note about statistics. Uh, We say this pretty often, but... When we say 13.5% of UK teen girls, we don't mean all of the girls in the United Kingdom. What we mean is 13.5% of the girls in the study, which um, if the study is conducted well, should be a statistically significant sample. In other words, they included enough girls in enough categories and demographics to make those results representative of a whole but it is not fully 13.5% of girls in the United Kingdom. I felt like we needed to point that out. Yeah, statistics are really useful and something that we should look at, but also they make it really easy to lie yeah. if if they're done improperly or if um, they're provided without great context for what they mean. Right. So like, one that comes to mind to for me is in a lot of medical studies, you'll hear that a certain population group is 50% more likely to die uh, if they do something, if they have some behavior or take some medication, right? Um, but that's provided without context. Mm-hmm. And if you know that only 0.05% of the population dies, you know, that are that all, have all other things being equal aside from that one difference right right it means that your chance of dying becomes 0.75 or what was it did i say 0.5 or 0.05 okay so 0.5 to 0.75 right so it's still a less than one percent chance of it happening it just means that it is more likely to happen by 50 percent statistics percentages especially by themselves really need context and we do try to provide that when we give you numbers Um, right or if we don't provide a lot of context, we try to make sure that it is a meaningful number before we actually spew it out. Just right. random disclaimer that's yeah. not <laughs> super relevant to this episode. But lies, damn lies, and statistics, statistics. according to, to Mark Twain. But obviously, right, even without these numbers, the impact of technology like this on the mental health and development of kids is is really important. Um, But Haugen's testimony did a lot to highlight for those people 
who may not have already understood before this just how Facebook determines what content and what ads you and your kids see. And that's what I think that's what makes this um, particular round of whistleblower testimony uh, fairly impactful for right now. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a, a black box for a lot of reasons. Um, in the same way that we hear people refer to the Walmart or the liberals, uh, you may have heard uh, one of your me- more tech savvy ish friends refer to the algorithm. When they're talking about what content is showing up on their social media feeds, especially, or in the case of people like us, uh, why they're having a hard time getting other people's content to show up in the right places, <laughs> Accurate. Uh, especially Robin, as that is her job. <laughs> so uh, while we use the term as though there is only one like overarching algorithm orchestrating the totality of anyone's social media feed. In reality, Facebook decides what to show to whom and when based on hundreds or potentially thousands of algorithms. Um, Some of those algorithms figure out what you like to look at and push that up higher in your newsfeed so you see it more often or or sooner. Um, Others detect specific types of bad content like nudity or spam or clickbait headlines. Those need to get better. I hate clickbait. Um, and delete them if they violate community standards or guidelines, uh, or if they don't delete them outright, push them down the feed, they bury them, um, kind of trying to nest them in a part of your social media where you are less likely to see it because you'd have to spend longer than you typically do, or you'll scroll past it. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these algorithms are known as machine learning algorithms. And they do exactly what it sounds like. Developers feed a lot. And it's, guys, it's a lot of data. (laughs) We have recently acquired some firsthand experience with how much data is required for machine learning. And it is so much, so much, so much data, so much, Um, which actually puts Facebook in a pretty advantageous and unique spot for training machine learning Mm -hmm. because they have all the data they absolutely do right anyway these programs analyze that data to find correlations and patterns in it in that data stuff that you and i and robin were not going to actually detect immediately either because there's just too much and we just can't see it um, or it's hidden in layers and layers of other data it's just it's too complex for us to identify, at least without some significant digging and work. Um, the programs then use those patterns to make decisions about content of advertisements or what kind or, you know, basically everything that you see with the general end goal of keeping more users on the platform longer and making advertising more lucrative for those who pay Facebook for the opportunity. Right. For example, an algorithm that's trained on data about who clicks on advertisements might learn that women from the ages of 25 to 39 with household incomes of 60 to $100,000 are more likely to click on ads for designer purses. And that's totally made up information there. So (laughs) (laughs) it really is actually. Uh, So the model that controls who gets served what ads is more likely to serve those women ads for designer purses. 
but I mean, let, let's be very clear here. Those are very broad specifications compared to the usage behaviors that Facebook as a platform or the internet in general have racked up on each and every one of us. I would yeah. never run an ad for a brand with those as my targeting demographics. Never. That's just so incredibly general that it's not useful anymore. They used to be all you needed, uh, but now that's just so broad. Um, we we yeah. can hyper-target stuff now. Yeah. So it, it used to be back in the day uh, when you signed up for a new account that kind of gave you a, a news feed experience, uh, you'd go through and check a bunch of boxes about the things that you were interested in. But when you sign up now for a Google or any other kind of social media account, you don't go through and check a million boxes about the things that you're interested in. Um, as an advertiser, I can target ads to you based on an interest in, say, Native American history or wedding photography, or keratosis polaris. That's a skin condition. And the internet knows if you have it, or if you love someone who does. And I can target ads to you based on that. And that information doesn't come from you telling Facebook directly what you want. It comes, it comes from the spies that they send to follow you around. It comes from them listening. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. It's the, the microphone in your we'll, in your. We'll get there. We'll get there. No, but that information comes from a huge pile of information about what you do literally all over the internet, mm -hmm. everywhere. And it doesn't just go for ads either. It also applies to the content that pops up in your feed or your explore page on Instagram, even though right now the explore page is a little bit more cause and effect uh, to your behavior on the actual platform. So you do have more direct influence over that. Anyway, nerd speak. But, yeah, I was going to say, you're really in the weeds all of a sudden. Yeah. It's almost it, like you're a professional in this industry. Right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, remember, Facebook's goal is to keep people on the platform and engaged. And the best way to do that is to show them something that's going to elicit an emotional response or inspire them to comment or share. These machine learning algorithms can predict pretty damn accurately what you're, what you're going to do with a piece of content. And so they're going to show you exactly what they need to show you to get you to do those things mm -hmm. with a little bit of your cousin Angela's baby mixed in because another algorithm that was developed in a different place at a different time in Facebook also learned that people prefer their Facebook feeds to have a personal feel, right? So there's all these different algorithms being developed at the same time by different groups in different parts of the company and they all work together to influence what's in your feed. Which whoever designed the second one about the personal feel, I really feel like maybe shouldn't get a bonus for that because the whole point of social media is that it's your personal feed. <laughs> there was like, so there was, there was, I'm going to nerd out for a minute, hot minute, just hold on. Go there was it. this whole period, like two, I feel like it was two or three years ago when Facebook was really leaning heavily into these uh, predictive algorithms and just popping up page content, page content, page content. Mm. And Facebook pages with a capital P, like owned by businesses or groups or whatever, were getting huge reach and huge engagement. And then they started doing surveys and they got feedback from people that said, listen, this stuff is cool, but also why can't I see my cousin Angela's baby anymore? I used to see her pictures all the time. And now I don't see them anymore. 
So they had to swing the pendulum back a different way and do some some more testing with how your feed shows up to give you just the right mix of chronological people that you are friends with and follow, but also predictive and preferential content from people you may not follow or you may not interact with very often. It just seems, again, like that should have been a no-brainer moment. Like people signed up so that they could see their friends and their Mm -hmm. family and their lives. What? We thought they signed up so we could force feed them ads all the time. Right. But the interesting thing about it is even when people were responding to the surveys that way, usage was not going down. People were not using Facebook less. They were just saying, oh, hey, I want to see more of this but I'm going to continue to use this as much, if not more than I ever have before. I'd be interested to see like how many ads just got scrolled by like their screen time per ad. If it went down because people were just trying to find the pictures of their family. It'd be interesting. It would be interesting comparison. I don't know if they get that granular with how they monitor their ads. They absolutely do. With screen time. I know Mm -hmm. they do clicks and no, you can, you can actually, um, I mean, So as an advertiser, I don't have access to that data, Mm. but all of that is information that they feed into their machine learning programs. So they know when people pause on an ad and don't interact with it. They know when people pause on content and don't interact with it. Hmm. Um, I've personally trained my algorithm. I mean, it's, it's the world. I've personally trained John's algorithm, the one that's assigned to me, to stop showing me ads in the middle of videos on Facebook. Oh, good job. Yeah, because every time an ad pops up, I don't care what it's for. I click the hide this ad button mm-hmm. and there's an option that says I don't like videos in the middle of my content, basically. Mm-hmm. And I just click it every time. And it, it cycles back on every four or five months or so. Right. And I have to shut off another five or six of them. And then it disappears for a while. And I'm like, thank you. I can actually watch the content I want to watch. Right. Because there's literally no bigger pet peeve for me on social media well okay there's no bigger pet peeve that doesn't involve other people than getting getting content right in the middle of my video Mm -hmm. it's just like especially because they always put it at the worst spot and i am sure that there is an algorithm that determines the best part to put an ad yes i am sure that algorithm always sucks because it's always right before the climax of a song or right before like the important part of the information that I'm trying to get out of this video. And I'm just like, what the? Stop it. Stop mm-hmm. it. I know you're putting it there because I'm more likely to stay so I get to see what I want to see. Mm-hmm. But we digress. Um, <laughs> part of what Frances Haugen was trying to call attention to in her testimony, um, bringing this back here, <laughs> is that... Predictive programs like these can exponentially affect the spread of polarizing content or content that tends toward a more extreme perspective. Every time someone shares something controversial and someone else shares or comments on it, positive or negative, the algorithm that served it up learns that it's engaging and shareable. It keeps people interacting with the platform and often brings them back to the source page where they interact with more content like the original piece. Then in a convenient spot on the page, there are a whole bunch of similar pages that have content the user is highly likely to engage with. So I like Minecraft videos. I do not, but if I did, 
I would be more likely to go to the Minecraft page and be like, oh, this is awesome, great content that I really like. And then there might be a uh, content for Roblox beneath it because people who like Minecraft oftentimes like Roblox. So you might like this content as well or a different creator who also makes Minecraft content, et cetera, et cetera. The folks that run these expertly targeted high engagement pages full of quotables that make you say, yeah, and then you hit that share button, most of the time, they're not really cool people <laughs> or people <laughs> like me or Robin. There's not somebody there going, you know what? I'm going to make an awesome aphorism collection and just get that shit out there, right? It's an entire company. And most of them are not located in the United States mm -hmm. because you can pay overseas labor really, really crap wages to just churn stuff out on social media. Um, and they're dedicated to creating and testing this viral content it's it's the whole business the whole model and they build up pages that do nothing but pump out memes and sound bites uh, they create engagement and then they sprinkle in a heavy dose of persuasive content <laughs> aka misinformation right um, and they do that because they can build this massive audience of people that kind of form a relationship with the page whether or not you mentally acknowledge that you trust the page, the more positive interactions that you have with it, the more likely you are to give weight to the information that comes from it. And so they slide in a piece of misinformation, say that the Italians are using satellites to change votes on a polling machine in Arizona. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out. And it kind of changes the opinions of the groups, this massive following that they have already that they've specifically targeted. Right. And it, it's even – so, yes, the, and there is that trust element, and that's a big part of it. But also it is even just as nefarious as the more people engage with a page's content on the whole, not even necessarily an individual piece of content, but a page's content – on the whole, the more likely it is that when that page produces another piece of content, the algorithm will just pick it up and spit it out to a wide audience. So let's say they've got, okay, well, here, we'll, we'll say this. A research report uh, that was obtained by MIT Technology Review showed that in 2019, these troll farms, as they're commonly called, they reached 140 million American Facebook users every single month. In comparison, Walmart's corporate page, like wa the Walmart, the Walmart. Their, their corporate page, 100 million users every month that year. And this is where it gets complicated because the largest Christian-focused page, like all of those great Christian inspirational memes and, and sound bites and pictures that popped up, the largest Christian focus page on Facebook in 2019 was run by one of these troll farms with a reach of about 75 million users every single month. And here's the kicker. 95% of those users that they reached never followed the page. That means that they're reached by shares. That means that they're reached by the algorithm popping it up in case you might like it. 
pages you might like, content you might like. And that's where this, that's where the magic is. Because once they start to build up that kind of reach, they get preferential treatment from the algorithm no matter what they put out. So any single piece of misinformation that they put out has a bigger impact because of all the other unobtrusive stuff that they put out before. The largest African-American-focused content page was also run by an overseas troll farm. It reached 30 million users monthly in 2019. 85% of them had never followed the page. And that's how this works, and that's why it's, it's dangerous. It's this crazy combination of machine learning and bad actors, and it's gotten us into this potentially dangerous situation that Francis Haugen was warning everyone about here. The algorithm allows these troll farms, or even just extremist assholes, to drive social media users into a frenzy of opposition. They incubate extremist thought and they drive us further away from common ground, which makes us easy targets for real misinformation campaigns. And the argument is that Facebook knows exactly what's happening and they choose not to stop it because it also is incredibly profitable for them as a company. Not only do they choose not to stop it, they actively encourage it because they know that it drives engagement. Yes. Um, There was an email or a message that Francis Haugen referenced uh, that basically spoke to that that mentality, right? That um, divisive content drives, keeps people on the page longer, right? Mm -hmm. They engage with it more, Um, which is actually something that we have struggled with. It's actually really hard for us to market because we try not to be like intentionally uh, divisive, mm-hmm. even though we we know that we are, um, it's just like we are trying to establish common ground, but that doesn't like people don't engage with that really actively, right? Even if it's positive for them, our brains are are more wired to react to negative stimulus for mm-hmm. some reason. Like we want to engage with it more, yeah. Um, and I've got theories about why that is, but none of them are supported right now, so I'm not going to say them. But like, it's it's frustrating because I've actually we've talked about it before. We ran, I ran one ad for engagement, <laughs> like after we a few months after we first started, <laughs> and it got engagement. And oh it yeah, was all negative, every all. single, and it it's all trolls and bots. It yeah. It was, I mean, it. <sighs> I have evolved since then. But at the time, I was like, what the, I'm going to light every single one of these people up. <laughs> and then it was like 200 people. I was like, I do not have time to right. light every single one of these people up. Right. Um, but I've kind of thought, like, ever since this testimony has started, I've kind of been like, well, maybe we should just start running engagement ads, even if it is negative, and just drive up engagement so we can get it out to a broader audience. It's not a bad idea. Um, and, it, like, I so I struggle with that as a social media marketer. Part of my job is social media marketing, and engagement is engagement when it comes to these algorithms. Um But I struggle with that because we also have to take into consideration that very many of the people who are not trolls and bots, who are then going to see that ad, um, 
there's you've got the pylon effect, right? So if they even slightly think that what you're saying is wrong, they're more likely just to pile on with a, a useless response rather than engaging with and considering the content. And then you also have the barrier that it presents to people who might genuinely positively engage with the content, but don't realize that the people showing up in that comment feed are trolls and bots whose whole job it is to say inflammatory things. That's actually one of the things that gets me about um, you look like a man. One of my favorite Instagram accounts. I I love it here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, But they very, Oh, I see there. Um, They very often post conversations that, that people have about the content on the page. And as somebody who's trained to look for these things, I recognize that very often they're getting into arguments with people who are professional trolls. They are literally getting paid to have arguments with you on social media. That's their job. Um, Or it's their hobby, right? Like some people are just those people. They get dopamine from it, which like, man, if you're a troll and you're listening to this, figure it out. Figure it out. Be a better person. Um, but like, so that's, that is why I struggle then with running things like engagement ads for something that could be as divisive as a political topic. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, I think when we ran it, it wasn't even like it, it was talking, it was literally a statistic actually. It was mm-hmm. like only 3% of CEOs in America are women. That's, that was the whole ad, oh, yeah. you know? And it was 100%. just like, let's, let's talk about it. That was the 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 uh the episode and you would have thought that we had started a war on men on white people Mm -hmm. that we had said you know you should all white dudes should probably be castrated and drown in a river there's a soundbite that's going to be taken way out of context Uh (laughs) only if you cut it and give it to me Nope. he's on social media no nope. nope. see i'm just thinking about like one of these days when we're running for president somebody's gonna dig through our old podcasts and that's gonna be the one that like john atkinson said white males should be castrated and drown in a river yes and then we're gonna snort laugh at them and be like but did you listen to the rest of the episode right well that <laughs> unflappable would be fine. we are be like yes yes we did and then we listened to the episode previous where john atkinson said cannibalism might be good when i talked about it's been eating me alive since we released it when i talked about how how somebody who is a cannibal might think that it's bad to like bury people just as much as we think it's bad to be a cannibal like i've been waiting for somebody to just be like i can't believe you said that i can't believe you defended cannibalism that's amazing (laughs) it's not logical it's probably an indicator of some sort of unresolved anxiety i should address but i'm not gonna nope we're just gonna run for president and leave that cannibalism comment out there it's gonna be great it's gonna be great i can't wait until it comes up in a debate with right donald trump the 17th or whatever oh lord but it's like so there it, it that leads into another problem right so when we don't understand how this works we fail to see patterns and we we fail to see the reasoning behind things. So when you don't know you're dealing with a troll, yeah. you fail to see that they're going to say the most inflammatory thing that they possibly can based on the audience. Yeah. And man, you look, you look like a man's trolls are. They're grade A. Yeah. I um, mean, they all suck, but. But like they're good at their job. They are really good at their job. And the thing is, like, even though the owner of the page shuts them down 
she's still engaging with them, so they're mm-hmm. still winning. Right. This is the problem. It's a, it's a whole and and I get it because the at this point the message is more important than the the execution. But right. It, it's the same thing with filtering content, right? Sensitive images. Yeah. When you don't understand how it works, it's easy to get confused and then really upset about it. Yeah. And whether you or me or anybody here remembers it, because I was like a teenager when I signed up for Facebook, um, you signed an agreement with Facebook uh, when you signed up. And that agreement gave Facebook the ability to basically editorialize certain content to moderate it. Um, I dug a bit. I actually, for this episode, I went back and actually looked at what I signed. Crazy. Um, (laughs) So we dug, I I dug a bit into what that certain content actually is. And it's a pretty extensive list, actually. You sign away the uh, ability for for your full First Amendment right, um, which is a bad comparison because it's a private company. They can do what they want. but it's a pretty long list of stuff that's considered sensitive content to Facebook or mm-hmm. violates community standards. That's the phrase they they uh, they use. They Facebook has community standards and they, I'm quoting them, apply to everyone all around the world and to all types of content. That's the claim. Not here to judge that right now. That content broadly falls under the categories of violence and criminal behavior, safety objectionable content, integrity and authenticity, respecting intellectual property, and then a broader sort of catch-all category um, that's called content-related requests and decisions. But those categories, each of them, comprise several subcategories. We don't have time to go over all of them because I didn't have time to read all of them. Um, But they include things that you might expect like violence and incitement, uh, coordinating harm and publicizing crime, child sexual exploitation, abuse and nudity, um, hate speech, false news, (laughs) which is the phrase they use, um, and manipulated media, which I found very interesting. The full list is linked in our show notes if you want to go and check out everything yourselves and see what you actually agree to. Um, now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, there are 7.753 billion human beings on this pale blue dot of ours. As of the day that we recorded this, 14 October 2021. It's our best estimate. Um fully 2.89 billion of those people are on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Now, somewhere in the neighborhood, I, I couldn't get an exact number for it, but estimates put between uh, 270 and 300 million of those accounts are fake or duplicates or something like that. But like, it's still a significant percentage. Right. It's it's like 37% of the global population is on Facebook a little more than one in three people on the planet access Facebook. I'd be willing to bet money the vast majority of them are located in the Northern Hemisphere. And that is part of a broader conversation on wealth distribution, but uh, something that I discovered when we were talking about third world countries, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's neither here nor there. 
And that information is is very readily available. Um, so if anybody wants to go look that up and let us know. Yeah. Sure. Tell me tell me how right I am. I'm not even like I'd put money on it. Um, this means that there is a lot of content published every passing minute. That's really what that means. Just tons. If data had weight, literally tons. In fact, if we weighed the electron of the, the electrons that comprise the signals that are being sent through the wires, I would not be surprised if they added up to literal tons of, of just information. Nerd alert. So nerd nerdy. Alert. I'm just, I mean, I don't, going out on a limb here. Um, so this, I couldn't actually find any information that was recent about how much is published on Facebook every day. But in 2013, eight years ago now, there were more than 350 million photos uploaded every day to Facebook. That's so, that doesn't include Instagram, which is a whole other beast. It doesn't mm -hmm. include text posts. It doesn't include video. And it's, that's before our phones got good at photos. Right? These were crummy, taken on, tooken, taken on a potato, blurry. Potato they all photos. had beauty filters built in because they sucked so much phones. Yeah. Not because our perceptions of ourselves sucked so much, which is what where we are now. So, These yeah. PFT pre-Facetune. <laughs> is that the new is that the new like epoch divider you've got bc80 pft uh <laughs> aft right and pretty soon we're gonna have like ai um <laughs> so AI. but the the takeaway here is that there's literally so much content being pushed through facebook and its affiliated platforms that there is no way that a human workforce could keep up with the workload of monitoring it all and flagging pictures that violated content policies, right? Facebook has roughly 63,400-ish employees. So 404. I worked really hard for that number. You better I know, but then you said roughly. I know. That's the point, Robin. It's funny. So I had to make a snap decision. God, you don't, you just don't get my humor. Gosh. Roughly exactly 63,404, <laughs> according to the one site. Exactly. There. Don't, sorry, I don't mean to derail our conversation, but it was important. Oh, do we digress? We, so, again? <laughs> if every single one of them spent their entire day evaluating photos, they'd have to look at 5,520 photos every single day. And since that photo count earlier, that 350 million, is from eight years ago, it's likely that they'd have to look at far, far, far more than that. It yeah. literally is not humanly possible to review these with people eyes. With people. You'd have the largest standing army in the world. That's a guess. It's not data supported. But I'm just thinking about like how to process 350 million photos. Assume it takes, even if it took, even if you could make a snap decision and it took you like five seconds per photo, you'd have to have a huge army just to look at photos then the videos, then the content. It, it, it We're highlighting this impossible goal because there is this persistent belief that they are targeting certain content or certain creators or certain ideas, right? I personally see it most often from my right-leaning friends when they share something that gets flagged. There's a specific reason for that has 
nothing to do with <laughs> being targeted and everything to do with the person who has been jerking everybody around by the nose that happens to lean that way for five years now. Right. <clears throat> That's a personal opinion in case it weren't clear. <laughs> but Salty. there's also been some pretty aggressive content flagging on some accounts that would be considered leftist. And we're thinking, this is, I'm thinking about you look like a man um, on Instagram. Since we've talked about her so much, her account, it calls out the misogyny that women on social media face when those women are uh, athletes, when they're weightlifters mm -hmm. or um, crossfitters or professional athletes or just regular people trying to better themselves. Strong and working men athletes. Out. Strongman athletes. I have to say that Sorry, because Robin, the owner you. of that account is a professional, like pro card professional strong woman. That like has many, many W's up on that board. Oh, she's she's a boss ass bitch. She's pretty cool. We want to get her on the show. If if she happens to stumble across, if the search engine optimization uh, brings her to our website someday. If we just say her name loudly enough. Yeah. Dear Jessica Fithen, who runs You Look Like a Man, please come on our podcast. That'd be super cool. You said, say that really loud and then you kind of whispered it. <laughs> oh, I did, didn't I? Yeah. It's late, y'all. I promise it's tea in this mug. Mm-hmm. Which this I don't time. know why we've we've been drinking while we've recorded many times. <laughs> many times. We research sober, mostly. Um. Anyway, her stuff, it gets nailed every single day every single day which ironically it's because she's usually <laughs> the stuff that gets lit up is usually her posting a troll's comments yeah. somebody who's being aggressive towards her or somebody who is being aggressive towards another profession or another woman and she's like hey look at this asshole right that's what she does but because of the way these algorithms work mm -hmm. she gets flagged for bullying and the person who originally posted it somehow doesn't actually i know why they don't or I have a I have a pretty good theory. Um, I also have a theory. I'm sure yours is a little more informed than mine, but I bet you they work together. I bet they do. Um, Facebook does have human content moderators, but they only have fifteen thousand of them. So, yeah, that means every 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 one of them would have to review something like twenty two thousand photos a day, which it doesn't happen. <laughs> just is not gonna it's not gonna work it's not gonna do it spoilers um, you literally only get to a human content moderator if you are a big enough account that they care that they lose you mm -hmm. it's true and uh most of those guys aren't even really facebook employees they're contractors so yeah it's a rough life being a facebook content moderator by the way they have frequently been diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah, they, yes, they have um, incredibly high mental health, rates of mental health issues, um, both acute and chronic. Yep. Insomnia, anxiety, PTSD, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, so what this means is that Facebook has to leverage our favorite tool to moderate content, just basically at all. The algorithm. Yep, it's back here too. Um, or as you should know by now, a whole suite of different algorithms are back. 
They exist to automatically moderate content that violates Facebook's community standards. So basically, Facebook uses artificial intelligence to analyze photos and determine if they violate the written community standards. And sometimes they're really effective. Between January and March of 2020, Facebook removed 39.5 million pieces of content that contained adult nudity or sexual activity. And of that, 99.2% of it was removed automatically by the algorithm. And, and we're not going to get into the super technical aspects about how their artificial intelligence works. But for things like nudity or violence for photographs and videos, Facebook uses a version of artificial intelligence called computer vision. This is software that's trained to identify and flag whatever content Facebook specifies based on an analysis of the image. So essentially a computer looks at the image in question and then makes a determination about whether or not it's questionable content. But computers don't really see the way that humans see, despite the fact that they're designed to emulate human vision. They basically take an image and break it down to a bunch of statistics. And again, we are grossly oversimplifying here. But if a new image matches the statistical profile that a computer has established for a certain type of content, then the computer will automatically flag that content. So say a computer has learned that a violent scene typically has a certain color that's always present, like blood red and a variety of sharp lines or edges, like from a grimacing face. If someone posted a picture of a crushed can of tomato sauce, which could possibly have both that blood red color and the sharp lines and the edges from the can, the computer might flag it as a violent image. I, was, I had a conversation on somebody's Facebook page the other day because um, somebody had posted a very... Um, very normal meme or inspirational image that had a bunch of people standing in the background and um, and what looked like glasses on the ground. On the and, ground, yeah. That's what triggered this whole, that when I was writing that, that's exactly Oh, what you saw that one about. too? Yeah, yeah. And, and it said something like, stand for what you believe in. Right. And it's totally not, like not a problem, not an issue. But because of these oversimplified rules statistics they the computer flagged it as possibly violent content which is great because it, it opens up a conversation about how this kind of stuff works obviously um, but it is is not great because it leads to a lot of confusion about what is going on and 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 it reinforces a sort of uh, an assumption that we're gonna we'll cover that in a little bit but like I actually so for my uh, friend who who posted that picture she was like see they don't want us to stand up for what we believe in and oh. it like amongst her friends it kind of became a sort of like they don't want us to like they were all kind of like wink wink nudge nudge they don't want us to stand up to election fraud sort of thing like they don't want us to stand up and say that donald trump won like it it all goes back to that it all goes back to that um but yeah, it was it was really weird, and That's I crazy. took a, I took a minute to type out like three sentence breakdown of like nope, just a computer yeah. and it's dumb. Yeah, the, and that's totally a different context than what I saw it in because the person who shared it that I saw on my feed was like, "Isn't it crazy 
how Facebook is starting to automatically flag things as being sensitive, click through on this image and you'll see that all it says is stand for what you believe in. But for some reason, it's getting flagged. It was treated kind of like an experiment. And there was a great conversation in the comments from three of us who actually work with, you know, with these platforms every single day. And we got to talk about how much of your experience on Facebook is is dominated by artificial intelligence and automation. And it's but it, it's crazy that the same things can show up in those different contexts. Yep. Yep. And that's a problem. Most of the time, AI is going to be good enough that it keeps the egregious stuff out of our feeds. Um, but remember that the sheer amount of data that is being pumped through Facebook's pipeline every single day means that even something that's 99.9% .9 correct is going to end up flagging a bunch of stuff incorrectly because there's 350. 50 million images, yeah. right? 350 million chances for it to get it wrong. Right. And that that one time doesn't include the other data streams that Facebook's AI is using to make those determinations. So if a photo has been flagged in one place, then an article that utilizes that photo might also end up getting flagged or other photos that appear alongside the first photo frequently enough or um, from a page that shared that photo it it really like there's so many things that can influence that aside from that one photo being analyzed that one time by the algorithm it's a whole galaxy of 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 information the problem is that ai as useful as it is it doesn't utilize context very well not yet there are several limitations um, sometimes content gets through because it's presented in a new way it's unique or the AI can't actually parse the picture very well. Um, you can actually fool a lot of computer vision by, by altering very small parts of the picture that you or I would just kind of ignore or go, that's kind of a weird glitch in the picture, but we'd still get the overall image. But the, it throws off the, the statistical analysis of that image enough that the AI just doesn't recognize it at all, mm -hmm. right? Um, or sometimes Facebook is trying to be cautious about over-censoring, which they actually do try to do, believe it or not. Um, sometimes the algor algorithm misidentifies something that is completely innocuous to a human observer, like we were just talking about, but it shares enough statistical similarities that a computer identifies it as problematic. So as cool as AI is, there's still a lot of problems that need to be ironed out. And its application is going to be far from perfect for a while yet. Despite that, there's really no evidence at this time that Facebook is intentionally targeting certain creators. Uh, we momentarily interrupt this podcast episode to bring you a word from everyone's favorite party guest, a bias. Yeah, yeah. It's the theme for, for season two, I think. I really uh, think it might be. It just seems to, to come up in every episode. So this time we're going to talk about something called intentionality bias, which is our tendency to attribute intentionality to others' behavior or to believe explanations of others' behavior that communicate intent, even if there is no other, <laughs> even if the other is a machine. Right. 
I remember that biases are not like um, inherently terrible characteristics about us. They are just cognitive shortcuts, right? They're just little easy things that our brains do to help us process a lot of information on the daily. And our perceptions of intentionality, whether or not something is done on purpose, guide our social interactions every single day. This is a very useful bias. They're the difference between a sheepish oh and throwing hands at a grocery store aisle. One model for explaining this intentionality bias hypothesizes that our instantaneous default perception is that everything everyone ever does is intentional and that our brains consciously or subconsciously then collect evidence once we've come to that conclusion to determine whether or not that's actually true. This would explain why kids are more likely to assume that their sibling is breathing on them on purpose, for example. But as we grow, our capacity to make these determinations gets better. So as an adult in the grocery store, when someone bumps into me, I can make micro observations about their body language, what they're doing, whether or not they're making eye contact or they're distracted. And I can use all of that to decide whether or not I need to have someone hold my earrings. Though the research on how we determine intentionality shows that it might be more complex than once believed, there is strong evidence to suggest that we often default to assuming intentionality when others engage in behaviors that we dislike or that cause us perceived harm. Admittedly, this gets a little tricky. Shocker, right? It's not like, <laughs> it's not like that's everything we ever talk about on this show. Um, we've just told you that Facebook is purposely trying to keep you on the platform longer and that troll farms are out there trying to make you hate your Aunt Sheila. But then we also told you that the algorithms out there monitoring sensitive content aren't trying to censor your patriotic meme. When you don't understand how the tech works or you don't have the information that you need to make all those decisions about whether or not an action is purposeful, it makes sense to just attribute it all to intentionality. Someone out there is just trying to keep you from sharing your Jesus content or suppress LGBTQ plus content or keep you from displaying your patriotism. And that's where we have to work. We have to work hard to be aware of this bias, this tendency, and then we have to actively compare it to what we know to be true about Facebook's goals or any other platform's goals, because let's be honest, those are Pinterest goals too. The goals are to keep you on the platform, to keep you engaged, and to make their advertisers happy because you clicked on the ad they thought you should. Chances are, if the thing that you're concerned about doesn't fall into one of those buckets, there's very little intentionality there. Right. It's an unfortunate side effect. Yes. Um, the phrase, never attribute to malice, that which can be equally explained through stupidity, comes yeah. to mind. Yes. I think ignorance is actually the word used. In yeah, but I like stupidity the, the original, too. But I prefer stupidity. Exactly. Um, so chances are you now know more than you did before about how Facebook decides what you see and don't see. And it might make you a little uncomfortable. Don't worry. We're here to make you a little more uncomfortable before <laughs> we tell you generally how to get more comfortable. Right. Now, we're going to read you a series of tweets that I shared on Facebook the other day 
Uh, the author is named Robert G. Reeve, and he purports to be a privacy tech worker. Considering the content of the thread, we really don't have any reason to disbelieve that. Uh, plus, also, he seems like our kind of guy, immediately following this wildly popular thread, like wildly popular from an average Twitter dude. He says, oh, this post is my Twitter high score. If you like D&D, consider sticking around. My account is 85% tabletop RPG development and 15% leftist politics. I mean, we can, like, we can definitely group with that. Gotta sit down at a table with this dude. Right. Roll. <laughs> roll for initiative. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's just break into it. It's actually really enlightening. I love this. I've read it multiple times. So he starts, I'm back from a week at my mom's house, and now I'm getting ads for her toothpaste brand the brand I've been putting in my mouth for a week. We never talked about this brand or Googled it or anything like that. As a privacy tech worker, let me explain why this is happening. First of all, your social media apps are not listening to you. This is a conspiracy theory. It's been debunked over and over again. But frankly, they don't need to because everything else you give them unthinkingly is a is way cheaper and way more powerful your apps collect a ton of data from your phone your unique device id your location your demographics we know this actually he wrote we notice but it doesn't it doesn't translate well <laughs> data aggregators pay to pull in data from everywhere when i I use my discount card at the grocery store. Every purchase, that's a data set for sale. They can match my Harris Teeter purchases to my Twitter account because I gave both those companies my email address and phone number, and I agreed to all that data sharing when I accepted those terms of service and the privacy policy. He continues, here's where it gets truly nuts, though. If my phone is regularly in the same GPS location as another phone, they take note of that. They start reconstructing the web of people that I'm in regular contact with. The advertisers can cross-reference my interests and browsing history and purchase history to those around me. It starts showing me different ads based on the people around me, family, friends, coworkers. It will serve me ads for things I don't want, but it knows someone I'm in regular contact with might want. To subliminally get me to start a conversation about, I don't know, toothpaste. It never needed to listen to me for this, to him. It, it's just comparing aggregated made, metadata. Ooh, I'll get that word right eventually. So... They know my mom's toothpaste. They know I was at my mom's. They know my Twitter. Now I get Twitter ads for mom's toothpaste. Your data isn't just about you. It's about how it can be used against every person you know and people you don't to shape your behavior unconsciously. Apple's latest updates let you block apps tracking and Facebook is mad. They're begging you to just press accept and go back to business as usual. Block 
every app's ads. It's not just about you. Your data reshapes the internet. The internet is never going to be the wacky place it was when I had a live journal and people shared protein gifts in the form of YTMNDs. That is some, just interjecting right here, that is some like early aughts Right. internet meme reference that right sentence there. is deserving of an entire reply all yes yes no episode anyway he finishes big business has come to suck the joy and your dollars out of the internet at least make it hard for them <laughs> right now mr reeve did an excellent job of highlighting all the ways the creepy-ass marketers like me can follow you around the internet and encourage you to buy toothpaste. Or, you know, target ads for a college at your parents because we know that you were looking at that college. But, but what we want to do is encourage you to explore different ways that you can practice good data hygiene. Yes, reading terms of service is the most boring thing. No, it's not always simple and easy to figure out who's collecting and selling what. But if you take issue with companies collecting and using your data, then it's up to you to take control of your presence online. Like head over to YouTube and type in privacy settings plus any app that you want. And there will be videos explaining how to limit to whatever extent that you can the data that's collected on you. Read through the cookie settings that pop up on websites that you visit and make a conscious choice about how they collect and use your data. Head into your phone settings and look at what data your apps collect and how they're allowed to use it. Your engagement with social media platforms with loyalty programs is a transaction. They are not giving you access to cool stuff because they're magnanimous. You are profitable. Your information is profitable. And we're not telling you what you should or shouldn't allow. That's 100% your business. You get to decide what the trade-off is there. But I, as a person who does this on the daily, am telling you that I believe that you should make a conscious choice about how your personal data, and for God's sake, your kids' data, is used. And I'm also telling you that now that this information is more readily available, marketers like me have no sympathy for those who can control their information and choose not to. So don't come crying to me, baby. Um, there's some interesting developments regarding our personal data. I know Andrew Yang has been pursing, pushing for it to be treated uh, as, as our own like resource mm -hmm. and that if people are going to use our data, we must be paid for it, which I think is interesting. I don't think it's going to happen, but I don't hate it. Right. I don't hate it. There's there, there are troubles with that because there's an argument that um, use of a service is, is bartering is, is an exchange, but I like, right. I like the, the sentiment. Yeah. And I kind of, I like, I like the idea of the, because I will be generating a profit for a company that you should have to, you should have to pay me for the information I give you to allow you to manipulate me to buy your product. <laughs> like, yeah, 
I don't hate it. I don't hate I think it. It's, I think it's not unlikely to happen, but I just thought it was interesting. It came up a little during the 2020 presidential election, and, and I think during the New York City mayor's race. Yes. Because um, Andrew Yang ran in that. Yeah. There, um, there are big changes on the horizon. That, I mean, already the Apple uh, privacy update, which, again, don't let anybody convince you that that was out of magnanimity. Right. They're still allowed to use your data to target ads to you on their own personal and private ad network. Yeah. Especially Apple. Won't let anybody else do it. Exactly. (laughs) Everything Apple does is to maximize their own profit at the expense of everybody else's profit. Apple does not have your back. No, that's that that's a whole episode but like that's why their charger is different than everybody else's despite the fact that it's killing the planet (laughs) right and actually i don't think it can be different anymore i think the eu was like no you have to use usbc or pay a fine yeah apple will not pay a fine i doubt that's settled yet i'm sure they're suing somewhere but right and there are big changes on the horizon with with data privacy but i would encourage you because we don't know yet what Uh, what kind of effect that that's going to have retroactively, right? So all the things that are coming soon may not change what people already have access to about you and what they already know about you because we are creatures of habit is likely going to be enough to continue to effectively do this kind of targeting in the future. Yeah. Now you can go in, you can request certain companies delete information about you it is a process it is intentionally archaic and difficult to do yep because it's their money maker um but you can do that it's another thing you can look up on youtube um and also consider your car is also collecting data on you Mm -hmm. so especially if you have a newer vehicle check your data settings there because the gps that information is being sold. Yeah. If you have or anything with OnStar, if you have satellite radio, if you have telematics, anything like that, it's cool all being stereo sold. head that has a GPS and Google Maps already built in. Oh, yeah. So cool. Yeah. You're the product. Yeah. So <laughs> um, just because we mentioned it and I think it'll be a fun way to wrap this out. I think... You look like a man is being targeted most often when she reposts something because she reposts images. That's exactly what I was thinking too. It is very, very difficult at the moment to train artificial intelligence to read. Mm-hmm. You can teach it to read, but like I said earlier, it's they they do not get context right now. Yeah. So it's hard for them to differenti- differentiate between a friend telling another friend to shove it or to shut up or to however friends interact that is can be construed as negative and somebody saying something hatefully as hate speech or targeting or bullying somebody it Mm -hmm. just doesn't have that understanding and that's not surprising because think of how many times you have misinterpreted a text that was sent to you Mm -hmm. or a post on Facebook and you have X number of years practicing the language. Right. So, and you know the person, like you, you know, know the them person. personally. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Very, sentiment. Very that's one of the reasons that, that engagement is engagement for the algorithm because with the exception of keywords, mm-hmm. it's very hard for 
AI to interpret intention, um, sentiment in a post. Like that's they, why we should develop a sarcasm font, right? Or a sarcasm like I like the sarcasticies. Did you ever see it? It, was, it went around and like it had to have been 2010 or something like that. And it was punctuation for the modern day. And one of the things that they had was sarcasticies. Was it like and it was like a set of characters that you would put on because it indicated awesome. anyway. Or awesome. my kids see? do a little um like italic S, like a slash and then an, yeah. an S. To indicate that's common on like Reddit. Um, well, that's where I see it. I see it on Reddit all the yeah. time. Slash S indicates that you're being sarcastic. Yeah. That way somebody doesn't come up behind you and light you up for being incredibly insensitive. Right. However, if you want to light us up for being incredibly insensitive. Do it. Which is would be difficult, I hope. How could they do that, Robin? <laughs> they could do that by going to firesidebreakdowns.com and filling out our contact form. While they're there, they could also check out all of our episodes. They could check out all of our show notes. They could, if they wanted to, click through to our Patreon and support us on our mission to hire a professional editor. Amongst other things, I think our goal right now is $400 a month. Um, yes. Yes. We just posted Her. our October newsletter, guys. I'm telling you, hot off the presses. Right on the ball here, midway right? through October. And and even if you light us up on our contact form, but you still choose to become a patron, I probably won't take my earrings off. We don't. That's true. We don't need to fight. You can you can buy our tolerance. (laughs) We said it before. We are bribable. Do it. Want to play catch with these hands? Boo. (laughs) Boo. We also give preference to people to our patrons for topic requests. We do. It's something that we're going to start enforcing a little more uh, vigorously simply because there are certain people who are sending us several topic requests because <laughs> we got friends and we got friends, but not all of them want to. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And they're not even formal topic requests. They're just like, hey, what do you think about this? Plus, also, I know you have a podcast. Like, so you should probably do it on the podcast. So mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like. Please, uh, again, we are, we are going to do our level best to get requests on the show in a timely fashion. Patreon supporters get preference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to take us out with some good news. Yeah, and tell us we'll something good. we'll let you all go. Because we're running, this one's running even longer than the last one. And this is supposed to be one of our shorter episodes. We are so good at this, guys. It's because we have deep personal knowledge of this subject. And it's not, uh, it's not wrong. That's not wrong. You do. I just have knowledge that I have just absorbed through osmosis, uh, hearing you speak and friends on the other project we're working on. So good news in response to the pretty depressing, uh, <laughs> testimony, uh, revealing an internal study at Facebook that, uh, de talked, <laughs> that talked about how detrimental Instagram is to the mental health of kids, teenagers, um, they are introducing a couple of new features. The first is simply a notification that advises young users to take a break from the app when they've spent a while scrolling. Sounds kind of anemic, but it can, especially to people like me, if I get a pop-up that's like, hey, buddy, you've been doing this a minute. You uh, you sure you want to keep scrolling? Like Netflix does, it makes me consider moving. It breaks the concentration. (laughs) Yep, breaks the loop. 
Um, the second, and I think probably the more important thing that they're doing is they're going to start, quote, nudging, that's the phrase they use, teens to look at new content whenever they have been looking at harmful or detrimental content over and over again for a period of time. Now, whether or not this is going to make a vast difference in the mental well-being of the very impressionable teenage population remains to be seen. The first is, like I said, it's just kind of like a, hey, it's pretty easy to ignore. Um, and this doesn't really do much to address the whistleblower testimony that Facebook intentionally steers people to content that is most likely to stimulate a response from them, which translates to controversial content. Right. Um, but it is a step in the right direction, I would argue. The reality of the situation is that Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Entire industries rely on their existence. And while it seems that Congress is refreshingly bipartisan uh, in its desire to do something about Facebook, companies that market so widely to children, they kind of have to take action on their own initiative to protect children from content that might harm them. They shouldn't have to be armed, strong-armed by Congress to do it. Mm -hmm. But as we've all learned, just because somebody shouldn't do something, just because we have norms and, and practices that we traditionally follow, it doesn't mean that they do that, especially when there's something important at stake, like lots of money. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, this will be the first step on the road to a more conscientious attitude and behavior on behalf of social media companies. Um, again, not a perfect solution, and I'm not hailing it as such, but I'm glad to see they're doing something. Right. That is good news. That is good news. Any final thoughts before we go? Um, No, because they won't be final thoughts. I just have a I lot of words on so this. Many. We'll have to do a, maybe a, a special Patreon-only recording of your on your thoughts. <laughs> yes. You should sign up to find out if we ever do it. You should. I mean, Robin listen, me, red wine, and all my thoughts on how social media works. That's a, that's a oh, can't miss event. That would actually be really cool. Tipsy, uh, tipsy fireside. We'll have to think of a better name for it. <laughs> but uh, it might be fun for patrons to hear us just go off the rails. Uh, <laughs> red wine makes me chatty. Yeah, yeah. Take us out of here. All right. Tell these kind people bye. Friends, countrymen, lend us your ears. We will be back with you next week to talk about a topic that is actually uh, very close to our hearts and personal experience. We're going to be talking about ADHD. Um, we promise not to be super scientific and boring, and we promise to be deep in the weeds on what it means to be an adult trying to put together a podcast with this particular superpower. Um, but until then, until such time as that... Take care of your personal data and take care of each other.